Thank you for the beautiful backdrop. Uh, makes me feel empowered to preach today. Wow, it's packed. <laughs> uh, it's good to be at Hillside. It's always so exciting to preach here. I mean, I've only preached here once, but <laughs> today's my second time, and I just can't hide the excitement. Just to be able to preach here, it's a great honor. And yeah, my name is Sky Becker, and I specifically am uh, serving at Itaewon campus, but I'm the healing and deliverance pastor of New Philadelphia. So let's go into the message. So beginning of this year, I wrote down five New Year's resolutions, like everybody does, right, in the beginning of the year. And one of them was to have one solid exercise routine, which I haven't started yet. <laughs> so if I could talk to Sam Kill after service today, uh, I'm just kidding. But, uh, and another one was to design and sell five T-shirts. Because I have a huge passion for t-shirts and I'm a graphic designer slash, I mean, I do all sorts of design, but, you know, it's my vision to see a shirt company, uh, you know, that I own and run. So that, I got two shirts done so far. So it's coming along, right? Praise God. <laughs> and another one was that God would raise me up as a preaching pastor and give me an opportunity to preach five times. And I am here to tell you that today is actually my fifth time preaching. And it's only June, so praise God. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. Who believes that God answers prayers? Yeah? So be careful what we pray for. And also, let's be confident that what we ask for when it's aligned with this God's heart, that He's going to answer. He's going to answer. So the message I want to preach today is very simple, but it's very, very powerful. Because it's a simple revelation that I recently got and, um, but, and brought a powerful transformation in my life recently. And I'm excited to share that with you today. Not just the head knowledge, but the transformation part as well. So last time I preached at Hillside, I talked about how me being able to stand here and preach in itself is a miracle and a testimony. Because I used to have a stage fright, like a crazy stage fright as a kid growing up. I just hated being in front of people. I, I used to cry when my parents or my, you know, like Hagwon teachers would make me do any kind of performance in front of a crowd. I used to freeze up. I used to just start crying. And to be able to stand here and to preach the word to you today is a testimony in itself. And, um, and I'm actually really excited. I'm really, um, what is it, enjoying being up here, which is, a miracle for me. Like, I never thought this day would come, that I'll be able to stand in front of a couple hundred people and be able to speak about God's Word. And, and that's just so exciting for me. And that's what I'm going to talk about today, that I'm able to stand here and to preach to you guys because of the Holy Spirit that's inside of me. And I know that that means that I can do anything and nothing is impossible. And that's the gist of my message today. So the title of my message today is, Nothing is impossible. Do you guys know the song, Nothing is Impossible? Should I sing right now? <laughs> Through you, not, I can do anything. I can do all things. It's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible. Good, thank you. <laughs> That's the song. 
That song I actually put on repeat as I was uh, doing this um, sermon because that lyrics, I think I want us to really listen to it and I wanted us to worship to the song later, but um, it's not going to happen today. But I want us to really focus on what that lyrics are saying. That it says, through you, I can do anything. I can do all things, even though I messed up while I was singing, because uh, it's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible. And then it goes on saying, through you, blind eyes are open, strongholds are broken. I am living by faith. Nothing is impossible. And that's it. That's the revelation I got recently. Even though I knew that for a really long time, that I can do all things and nothing is impossible. I can't say that I was living it out. And my prayer today is that when we walk out of this room, that it's not just a head knowledge that we know that God can allow anything to happen through us, but that we will walk out in that place already living it out, starting now. Starting now, the truth that God can make anything possible, right? And I want to challenge you guys to ask yourself the question, the same question that I asked myself. We know it in our head. We know that God is a God of impossible but do we really know it, know it in our hearts? I want us to really check our hearts and really seek for God to open your hearts right now that you're able to receive that truth deep, deep, deep down inside. So um, let's turn to today's scripture, Mark 8. It's a very famous miracle performed by Jesus of feeding 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. And uh, today I'm going to take that passage and really focus on how, what, what the role of the disciples were in this story. So let's turn to Mark 8. I'm going to read the odd verses and you can read the even verses. It's going to be Mark 8, 1 to 10. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to him, And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way. And some of them have come far from far away. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. <laughs> And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. <laughs> and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. <laughs> yes, did something, right? <laughs> So back in the day when Jesus went around um, performing miracles and healing and doing ministry with his disciples, a huge crowd of people used to gather. So you can imagine, like, you're talking about, like, a K-pop idol group appearing in Gangnam all of a sudden and, like, the whole city kind of gathering around and following them everywhere they go. That's kind of like what was happening, but times, like, five. And... um, 
And on this very day, we were talking only about 4,000 people. Only about 4,000 people. And if we were to bring this story to the present time and to give you guys a better understanding of how, what the situation is like, I want us to take our church-wide retreat as an example. So imagine 4,000 people signed up for the retreat, and they all went to the retreat center, and then for whatever reason, we find out that we have no food at all. Oh, no, right? <laughs> and only thing we got is our 11 core leaders somehow had seven loaves of bread and a small fish, like few small fish, right? And that's barely enough for just the core leaders to eat and be full, right? It's just seven baguettes. Who, who wants to eat seven baguettes, right? But in this case, at least we have places like jajangmyeon like, or convenience stores where we can go and work something out, right? Uh, but it would still take 40 jajangmyeon places to order for 4,000 people because if you order 4,000 jajangmyeon from one place, they're not going to be happy, right? <laughs> so you are, I'm just explaining to you what kind of serious situation this is right now. And um, going back to Jesus and his disciples, according to Jesus' disciples' words, there was no way for one to feed these people with bread here in this desolate place. They were in a desolate place. No jajangmyeonji, no uh, convenience store. You know, no, like, PC's mom to cook for us. Nobody, right? And I want to point out that in the beginning of the passage, what Jesus did, um, it says Jesus called his disciples to him because he had compassion on the crowd. And because they had been with him now three days and have nothing to eat. And I want to point out that Jesus was the one that had compassion to feed these people. So... One first point that I want to point out, and knowing that nothing is impossible, whatever God calls us to do, is the reason why it's impossible is because Jesus is the one that called us to it. And when in this uh, situation in, in Mark, Jesus called the disciples over simply to use them as vessels. Okay? And what was the disciples' response? They responded with doubt and worries. How can we feed these people? I think a lot of times we get mistaken with our calling or vision that we are asking for God's help when it's God wanting to use our help. We get that mixed up a lot. God, I want to bless these hundreds of orphans and we need $10,000. Well, Jam and our orphanage uh, directors as well, so I'm going to use this as an example. But, and we just start praying and start explaining to God why he should help the orphans. Like, you know... They grow up as orphans, and, you know, we try to start persuading God of why he should help us out, right? But that's not the way it is, because when in reality, it is God who so loved the orphans that he picked us. He picked us, like me and John Michael, to be his hands and feet. And we shouldn't get that mixed up, because that's what brings a lie of it's impossible, because we're thinking in our level. We're thinking in our standards because this is my project. This is my prayer request. So when I bring it to the Lord, you know, that, that's when the lies of, oh, it can't be done. It shouldn't be done. All these things come up, right? And so first point that I, as, as I literally make it clear is that in order for us to really know nothing is impossible, we need to have the right understanding of God's identity and our identity. 
Okay? God's identity. He's the boss. He's the boss, not us. Right? And have you seen a worker in a company go up to the boss and the boss, the boss, the top boss, and be like, boss, this cannot be done. Have you ever seen that? Well, even if you did, guess what? The boss doesn't care whether you feel like it can be done or not because when he's determined to make something work, he's going to make it work, right? He's going to carry that out whether he uses somebody else, whether he uses different tactic. He is determined to carry out his mission. He's going to do it, right? And that's how it is with the Lord because when God is determined to do something, he's going to do it, right? And Jesus was determined to feed 4,000 people in this story. He was going to do it. Even if there were only seven loaves of bread, he was going to do it. So when he gathered the disciples and he told them, hey, I want to feed 4,000 people. And the disciples basically responded back saying, it's impossible, right? But Jesus didn't, wasn't moved. He, was pers- he wasn't persuaded. But rather, he asked the disciples, what did he ask the disciples? What do you got? What do you got? What do you have in your hands that I can bless so it becomes possible? What is the talent you have in your hand that I can bless? What is the dream that you have in your hand that I can bless? What is the desire that you have in your hand that I can bless and make it possible? Because those things are already given by God to you in the first place. So church, whatever God is calling us to do, he's the one that called us to it. He's the greatest almighty God who placed us on this earth so we can carry out the things that he's commanding us to do. Not the other way around. And only reason he wouldn't answer your requests is if that's not what he wants for you or if it's not the right timing. So there's no room for us to keep doubting the things God's putting on our hearts. We shouldn't need to worry about possibility of it because God is the boss who's going to make it happen. Turn to your neighbors and tell them lovingly, God is the boss, not you. Lovingly. So Hebrews 12.2 says, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Genesis 1.1 says, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. Out of all the amazing identities of God, today I, wanna, I want us to get the full revelation of his name, Adonai. Adonai. It's a Hebrew word meaning Lord, which means that God is Lord and we are his servants. And the identity of God, this identity of, of God tells us that Lord is the one who can empower us to fulfill his purposes for our lives. And he will surely give you the strength, faith, perseverance, and resources for you to do them. What about knowing our identity? What identity do we have to hold on to for us to really know that nothing is impossible? I'll give you a hint. It's identity number 14 out of 36 identities. If you know this, you can be an H&D pastor. Nobody knows. That's right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Identity number 14 says, I am a branch of the true vine. John 15:5. I am a branch of the true vine. That means that, in other words, we abide in him and he abides in us. 
we are connected, right? And Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you seen branches that survive and bear fruit when it's cut off from the tree? No. That's what we call impossible, right? This is a promise and a warning that Jesus gives us, that if we rely on him, he will, make, he will be the source of all fruitfulness. But if we don't, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. John Michael used to say, jack squat, right? Is that the word? <laughs> jack squat, nothing. Oh, anyway. Um, do you know that this has been the most comforting thing that I've ever heard? That I can do nothing apart from Christ? It's so comforting. So comforting. Right? Because this means that Jesus and I are like one body. Like, have you ever seen the game where they take a pipe with flour in it and two people hold the, the each end of the pipe and you blow it in as, as much as you can and whoever has the biggest, bigger lung capacity and strength in their lungs wins? Have you ever seen that? So if the other person is kind of weak and blowing it in, then the flour will get, will get all over the other person's face. Whoever has, you know, the least, the, le- the less amount of lung capacity in their lungs. Does that make sense? It's kind of gross because when you watch the game, uh, thank goodness I've never played it, but when you watch the game, they're, you know, whoever can blow it harder can, you know, gets to smash all the flour, you know, up on the other person's face. I know it's kind of a gross analogy, but <laughs> basically whoever has the mo- more strength gets to give the other person whatever is in that tube, right? But imagine, you know, that you have a pipe between you and Jesus of life and of joy and of peace and encouragement and power connected to him. And that more and more you let go of your control, you get more and more of Jesus. Right? And this verse is saying that I am a branch of the true vine who is Jesus. And that I get his spirit flown into me constantly. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's so comforting to me. Because out of the five times I preached, I actually preached six times, but one was uh, same message, so I'm not counting that one. <laughs> but out of the times I preached, uh, the most powerful times have been when I felt like I cannot do this with my own power. Then those are the times that I just give the Holy Spirit the full access and empowerment, and that's when I even get blessed by my own message. Like, wow, God, you're so good. This is a good message, right? (laughs) Church, we love the word impossible. We don't say it out loud all the time, especially in New Philly, because our culture is that we speak life. And if we don't speak life, you can get rebuked. (laughs) So don't speak death over yourself like word impossible. But, you know, can we admit that sometimes we love to think it? Man, that's impossible. What? That job? No, that's impossible. I can't get that job. And let me tell you something, a cool secret about the word impossible. Because I feel like God made us impossible on purpose. Because when we look at the word impossible and do a little bit of spacing and apostrophing, it becomes I am possible, right? I know you guys have seen this on like Pinterest or Instagram, like, oh, you're not the original, right? But my version... (laughs) No, no, no. My version is cooler. Okay? Because I am here is not representing you. I am here is representing God. Did you guys know the name of God 
One of the names of God is I am. You know, when Moses was being called out to uh, to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, you know, Moses asked God, what do I tell the Israelites when they ask me who I'm sent by and ask what his name is? And that's when God revealed his name, I am. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Sent me to you. <laughs> he is Yahweh. He's the beginning and the end. He is God. That's what it means. I am who I am. I think that's very self-explanatory, right? And so when, even though I am impossible, when I let God abide in me, things become possible. So inside of me, there may be a word that, that comes up a lot, impossible. You just got to always remember that I am part of that impossible is always the Lord. And he makes all things possible. And that brings me to my second point. The reason why nothing is impossible is because we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit as our helper. When we look at Mark 8, we see how the disciples were walking with Jesus. He was physically there. Jesus was physically there. And they rode the boat together. They ate together. They went on healing people together. I mean, they walked on water together, you know. They, they were really tight. I mean, Jesus was physically there to help them out with everything, right? But imagine partner, partnering up with someone like Tony Stark from Iron Man. Imagine right now, like, that you and him are, like, buddy buddies, and you get to go around flying in his suit and conquering over the bad guys. Wouldn't you feel like there's nothing impossible? You know, we would say to ourselves, like, man, if we had Jesus with me right now, Man, I would do anything, right? But because disciples knew that Jesus got their back, it was it, it was it's it was okay for them to go and do you know it, it was it just gave them strength and faith. Like when we go on mission trips and you know we're praying for people at the altar and something happens, like you know something you don't expect happens, and you just go and look for the leader or the preaching pastor, and you know that it's safe because everything's under control. Right? It's kind of like how it was for the disciples and Jesus. And we say to ourselves, like, we don't, yeah, we don't have Jesus. Wait, sorry, let me find myself. So in Mark 8, we see that all the disciples had no idea what to do to feed the 4,000. It was okay because Jesus, there, Jesus was there to lead them. And Jesus had them bring to him whatever they got, seven loaves of bread and a few fish. Then Jesus directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, that means he blessed the food, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a small, few small fish, and having blessed them once again, he said that these also should be set, set before them. And all the disciples had to do was to set the food before the crowd because Jesus has anointed it. He gave thanks, he blessed the food, and handed them over to the disciples. And Jesus couldn't have just, he could have just given out the bread himself, but he um, entrusted that part to the disciples. And church, God is entrusting us with the part where it takes and requires faith. And believing that God is the one that is going to do it, He's the one that's already anointed whatever God has put on put in our hands. 
And that when we obey and just step out in faith, God is going to make it happen. You know, when disciples stepped out of faith to obey Jesus' command, food multiplied. And remember that Jesus is the one that anoints it and hands it over to you. Church, what is, what has Jesus anointed in your life? What is there in your life that Jesus is telling you to step out in faith and just do it? You know, you would say, well, that's not fair because I don't have Jesus with me right now. The disciples did. Yeah, you're right. You don't have Jesus with you right now, but you have Jesus in you. Jesus said to the disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In John 16, 7, that, that's what it says in John 67. And John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give, the, give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Church, we underestimate the Holy Spirit too much sometimes. He's like Jesus' twin, except lighter version. Okay, <laughs> The same spirit that raised the dead lives in you. I think sometimes we feel like seeing the blind healed on a mission trip is easier than seeing Jesus carry out our dreams. Can you agree? To open a business, to write a book, to release albums, to lead people to Christ. No, it's too hard. It's impossible. But we say yes and amen to seeing the lame walk and blind see. This is where we need the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. That's my last point. Point number three is we need the Holy Spirit to renew our minds to do the things that seem impossible. Renewal of mind. Renewal of mind. So I want to share with you my own experience and testimony. I share that I had a breakthrough in this area recently, and that's why I can preach, you, preach to you this message, because I'm preaching to myself at the same time. So one of the biggest struggles I had until very recently was being confident in myself or things that I do. And part of it was because of my perfectionist side and wanting to do things right and perfect. But another part of it was growing up in an environment where I was constantly criticized. And when I was younger, I had a lot of criticism come from the family members about my personality. A lot of lies were spoken over me, like you're selfish, you're lazy, you're inconsiderate, and all the lies. And I would often get scolded or called out for things I've done in the way past, way later, and it would eventually make me really paranoid about the way my actions were. Um, and because I'm a phlegmatic, I don't know, a lot of people know what that means. It's a temperament where you are known to be a peacemaker between the other people. You know, it, 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 so I care a lot about other people's feelings and put them before me, uh, even though sometimes it wasn't healthy. Mm. And do you know that humbleness overdone is insecurity? Yes, humbleness overdone is insecurity. So I was very insecure, especially in the areas of arts and creativity. And I think it began when I went to college, especially because I majored in architecture. 
architecture means you design buildings. <laughs> and uh, that, that was my major. And <laughs> sometimes people don't know what architecture means. But uh, when I took that major, my family members weren't that supportive of me uh, doing the major because, one, it's like a kind of a men's career, I guess. And they, I don't know, they just uh, kind of doubted that I could make it because it's a very hard industry. And mind you that I did make it to one of the best architecture programs. Our school was ranked number one uh, amongst public schools in the United States. <laughs> and the year I... <laughs> I'm not posting, I'm not posting. The year we made number one, we made a, like a postcard with the big number one on it. So we can send it to our families and friends. And it looked like a huge Uno card and I'm like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> But I'm not, I'm not saying that to boast, but I'm just trying to explain how intense it was, that program was. Because when I went in, I went in as undecided, so I had to try to get into the program. So I applied for the program, which they go through this intense three months of uh, studio work and just competitions to be selected out of 60 people, out of a couple hundreds of uh, applicants. So you get chosen from a couple hundreds to just do the program. And out of the program, you could only a third of them, like 20 people, could make it into the program. And I made it. <laughs> but it was so intense. I'm saying all this, all this because imagine you are competing against two-thirds of the classmates. Because everywhere you turn, you have to kind of prove to everybody and all the professors why your design is better than everybody else's. So we would have these critiques. They call it critiques. And constant pinups where you had to prove yourself that this is, this is why mine's better than others. So it's a very, very competitive uh, environment where I rarely got any compliments, but it was a lot of criticisms. Criticism. Your building is not straight enough. You know, like a lot of things that kind of got to me to a point I couldn't appreciate my gift. And um, I think my, the best uh, compliment I got was when I was trying, third year is the hard year, hardest year. And that's when everybody try, thinks about switching the major to something like pharmacy or chemistry or something. And I went to my professor and talked to him about it. And that's the only time I heard a compliment from him. He said, hey, you are actually not, not good, not bad. I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> so don't quit. I'm like, why oh, couldn't he just say I'm not bad you know, I'm, or I'm good, you know? But that was like the best compliment I got. I even wrote it down in my journal. I am not not bad. Yeah, you know? <laughs> but, you know, Pastor Aaron preached on a few weeks ago on power of encouragement and also the reverse effect of criticism. And I was molded in a way, yeah, that I started to, I guess, unappreciate, be unappreciative of what I have what I could do. And I didn't think it was a big deal. I thought I was just being humble until I realized how much it was slowing me down from doing God's will. And in many areas of my life, especially with the creative anointing, I was quenching what Jesus has already anointed for me to do with my own criticisms. And I was so used to being told, no, you can't do it. And I thought of more reasons why I shouldn't be able to do it when I went than why I can do it. And it was the same way for me when the dance opportunity came last year with our 
um, this awesome dance crew. Somebody give me a shout out. Somebody. <laughs> Thanks, Eunice. Uh, when Mariko, who's who's the one, one of the three leaders that led the dance team that we performed at the Christmas ba- Christmas uh, service and also at the retreat, when she added me to the Facebook group because she saw a video of me in college years when I used to dance for fun in a dance ministry uh, that was led by Eunice Lee, actually. So she saw that and she added me to the group, and I was like, what? Like, why am I in this group? And first thing I did was think of reasons and a list of things why I can't do it. I can't do this because I'm not a dancer. I'm not, I, I'm not a professional, blah, 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 right? So when I told my husband about it, I just said it in passing. Hey, they added me to this dance group thingy that, you know, they're performing at the Christmas. I'm not going to do it. And John Michael goes, why not? And I was like, yeah, why not? Right? <laughs> and he really encouraged me to do it. And I was so thankful by that because... I think it's probably one of the few times where someone encouraged me to be creative. Just be yourself. Do it. You love dancing. Just do it. And it, it, it didn't have like 10 reasons of why I should do it, but it was just you enjoy it. You're made creative. Just do it. So long story short, I ended up taking, ended up joining, and I did the awesome performance with the, you know, our dance team at the Christmas service. And during those two weeks, it was very intense. The practice time was very intense. We had to practice from 10 to 1, 2, sometimes 3. And it was, it felt like a mini mission trip after the, after the whole practice was over. But when the second opportunity to dance came around, we had a lot more time and we had a lot more, we actually had time to think about whether we want to commit or not. So it, that's when the doubt started creeping in, ironically, so ironically. Because I had more time to think upon it and make a decision whether to commit or not. I had more time to think about my performances. Am I doing okay? Is, do I look all right? And that's when the doubts like, can I do this? Am I meant for this? These things came in. Especially when during our practices, the leaders would uh, pull out, like divide us into groups. And two or three people had to perform in front of like 10 others. And kind of not... They would give, like, good criticisms and whatnot, but it was like a test, you know, like an audition. So we had to do our dance moves, and I would find myself freezing up. I can't do the moves because I practiced it. I knew the moves, but I just couldn't move because I realized that when there's a clog in your mind, your body cannot follow, right? So I had to pick up myself up and just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bring a renewal in my mind. Renewal in my mind in the areas that I was doubting. In renewal in the areas where I was getting hit by the lies. I look funny. I look dumb. All these lies of why I shouldn't dance. I needed the Holy Spirit to come and renew my mind. And when he would do that, I would dance fine. I would dance so joyful, so fun. It was so fun and exciting when God gave me the renewal of my identity. Even when I was dancing. You know, that I am glorifying the Lord through my dance moves. I am worshiping the Lord and not anybody else. That renewal brought me so much freedom in the physical. And that's the same when it comes to a lot of things we try to do in our lives. Oftentimes, the blockage is in the mind, not in the physical. Nobody's tying me up not to do design. Nobody's tying you up not to write books. Nobody's tying you up to block you from things that you're called to do. But it's in the mind a lot of times that blocks us from doing it, from walking it out. 
our beliefs manifest in the physical. So going back to the story with Jesus and the disciples, if the disciples had absolutely no faith in Jesus, they wouldn't have given out the bread. Whether it was small or big, they had faith in Jesus. And that's why they could obey him. Because do you think you can jump off of a cliff when the person that you, that's telling you to jump off, you had no faith in him at all? That, that person will save you? I don't think so. Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, Move from here to there, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. We need the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. It's no persuasion or studying or just speaking over yourself that will do it. Um, you know, I told you about my lack of confidence I struggled with for many years. Uh, before I went to the churchwide retreat, I was praying into two things. I was praying that God will take me deeper into deeper in intimacy with Him, especially in the area of prayer, prayer life. And another thing was that I would be confident in Him, that I would that God would give me the new set of eyes to see who really who I am really who I really am in Him. And when I went to the um, retreat, on the third night of the night, Stephen Bochamp, one of our speakers, he was determined to go around and pray for every single person. And he was going around praying for every single person. And I happened to be near him, and I was just standing around him so I could put blanket over people or catch people. And, I, and as he was going around praying, he kind of looked at me on the side, like gave me like a side stare, and I, I gave him a side stare. And I looked at him and I gave him a smile. I was like, like, I kind of gave him a smile saying, it's okay, you don't have to pray for me. Like, I'm fine, right? But he came and put his hand over my head and grabbed my head. And I just went to a receiving position. And I started receiving his prayer. And he just paused. He wasn't like, shandala, shandala. He just grabbed my head, stood there, and said, confidence deeper. Two words. Confidence deeper. He didn't even say a long, you know, whatever prayer. He didn't even say a sentence. He just said two words, and he walked away. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that was right on, you know? And I can tell you that ever since that retreat, and that was the most dramatic moment during the whole retreat for me. You know, I'm normally sensitive to the Spirit, so I would cry. I, would, I mean, I had those moments, but... As far as when it came to my breakthroughs, that was my most dramatic moment. Confidence and <laughs> deeper. And also dancing on stage like crazy. That was most dramatic for me, actually. But um, I can tell you right now that ever since that retreat, I've been walking in so much confidence, so much intimacy with the Lord, that it didn't need shaking, it didn't need falling, it didn't need crying like a baby for me to know that the lies... And insecurities have been broken off the moment he said confidence. And I was establishing the identity, I'm confident. That's what happened in the spirit. I just knew it. And I just knew that, yes, God did take my relationship with him to a deeper level at that moment when he said deeper. And I've been walking that out. It's been so freeing. It's been so awesome to see, wow, like uh, evidences of how God has renewed my heart. 
that normally at the times where I would feel insecure or I would worry about, man, did I offend that person? Should I have said it a different way? Like, you know, it's, it sounds right thing to do, right? It sounds righteous to do, but not when it's keeping you from worshiping God. Like, that's not right. So at moments like that, I would just have no, I, I would have no struggle. I would be filled with so much peace, so much confidence, so much just joy and knowing that God, I, in God, I can be confident, especially in his grace. It was his grace. You know, we can be confident in ourselves because of God's grace. It's not because we're the best people in the world. We are. <laughs> but in the Lord, that's what makes us the best people in the world. And uh, I want us to close our eyes right now. And if I could, yeah. to close our eyes and take this time to converse with the Lord this is just you and him it's not between you and me but it's with you and God and when we want to live out those callings live out those dreams live out those just desires God has put in our hearts we need the Holy Spirit we need the Holy Spirit to come and renew our minds that makes us confident and know that nothing is impossible in Him. So let's take time to ask God, Holy Spirit, what are some things that you are putting in my hands right now? What's your calling on my life right now? And if you already know it, ask the Lord, is there anything that's blocking me from walking it out the way I should be walking it out? Is it any lies that I'm, I'm inadequate? Is it a lie like I can't love on people or I can't, I'm not capable? Is it a lie that no, God doesn't really actually care about what I want to do? I want us to bring those things to the Lord and ask Him, God, if this does not belong to you, take it away. Take it away right now. If it's not of you, it's not of me either. It does not belong to me. Whatever lies you thought of in your head, I want you to renounce them. Renounce means to take off, to completely forsake and have no part in it. When you renounce an identity, renounce a lie that you are incapable, you're saying, no, that is not a part of me anymore. I'm commanding it to leave out of my heart, out of my mind, out of my life. It can be quietly. I want you to just say it out. God, I renounce the lie that I'm incapable. God, I renounce the lie that you don't care for my dreams. God, I renounce the lie that things are impossible. Pray for a renewal of mind. God, I declare that I am capable. 
God, I declare that everything is possible in you. God, I declare that you care and you've given me the desires that are in my heart. And I want to rely on nothing but you today. Starting today, I'm going to walk out from this place knowing that nothing is impossible because you are in me. Christ Jesus, the hope of glory, you are in me. thank you so much father that you are the one you are adonai you are the lord you are adonai lord you are the lord yahweh god you are i am lord and you have placed us on this earth so we can partner with you in doing the works that you are calling us to do and i thank you father that you have already anointed and touched every single thing that you're calling us to do Because you are the one, only thing, only thing that makes it possible, God. I just declare, Lord, over everybody in this place, Lord, that there is no room for doubts. There is no room for the spirit of impossibility, Lord. We just declare that that lie is not a part of us anymore, God. We don't have any part with the lie that things are impossible, God. We declare, Father, that everything is possible through you. Everything is possible through you. I pray, Father, for a renewal of mind right now. Pray, Lord, that you will come and renew our hearts, renew our minds, Lord. Remove all the lies that are inside of us that's blocking us from walking out your destiny for us, Lord. And we pray for confidence to rise up. We pray for strength to rise up. We pray for joy and hope to rise up right now, God, in every single one of us, Lord. That we will walk out of this room, Lord, ready to do your will. Ready to do your will, God. We thank you, Father, and we praise your name, Lord. You're worthy to be praised for all the things in our lives, God. Pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name.